So Money Episode 747, Kelly Keenan Trump War, founder of CJ Invest. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Did you ever have an idea for a business, but the one thing you didn't have was the money? And so it kind of fell to the wayside or you lost momentum. And oftentimes entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs will turn to investors, angel investors to fund their ideas, to get their businesses off the ground. A lot of us think that we may not qualify for this, right? We're not contestants on Shark Tank. We're not the next Facebook or Airbnb so we think. And so we give up on even that idea. But today's guest is Kelly Keenan Trumpor, and she is going to tell us exactly how to get some investor dollars. Like many industries, angel investing used to be dominated by men. It still is in some ways, but more and more women are becoming angel investors. These days, 26% about one in four angel investors are women. And that's up from just 12% in 2011. So in recent history, we've made it quite an advance. Kelly is a successful female angel investor. She's the founder of a company called C. Jane Invest, which is committed to helping women-led businesses find success. She talks about her portfolio, how she identifies businesses that are worth funding, how to get your business off the ground. Also, Kelly's a fascinating person. She's a mother. She's a business owner. She's a wife. She's the host of the podcast, See Jane Invest. She's somebody who arrived in her career never imagining this is actually what it would look like. So we talk about all of that good stuff too. Here we go. Here is Kelly Keenan Trumpor. Kelly Keenan Trumpor, welcome to So Money. It is so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) Thank you for what you do. I think that it's really exceptional. Really. I mean, I think that's the accurate word here. It's exceptional to find a female who is dedicating her work to investing in other female-led businesses. That's really powerful and that's making a difference like we all wish we could. Take us back though, Kelly, to when you didn't even have the money yeah, to be someone who could be an investor, let alone someone who had such a specific focus. Uh, did you always want to be an investor, so to speak? Oh, no, I had no idea I was going to be an investor, quite frankly. Um, you know, I had a very, very practical mindset around money. Um, I think of myself in general as someone who's very conservative with money. So in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't imagine that I'd be spending my career basically going into one of the highest risks investments you can. I remember when I went to college, you know, my dad really encouraged me to not buy into the brand names of schools. He said, you know, you really want to think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And at that point, I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. So even though I got into Stanford, I actually chose to go to a very little but lovely school called University of Detroit Mercy out in the middle of Detroit because I got a full academic scholarship. And 
I've always been someone who enjoys working. So, you know, I landed there and the first thing I did was I got a job that could cover the rest of my book expenses, um, my, my living expenses. And I even got a second job on top of that because I was saving for graduate school. And then graduate school, I went to a state law school, which had a wonderful program, um, University of Maryland. But, you know, my, my mindset was always around how do I make sure that I have enough of a runway for the things that I want to do later in life? And law and business to me were the two places that I felt women in particular felt maybe left out of conversations. And if they were included in the conversations, they sometimes were trying to understand the vocabulary. And it was very much like a language to me. And I didn't want my lack of understanding of those languages to ever keep me out of any room where influential things were happening. So, you know, after I went to law school, I actually started lobbying on behalf of women in business. While I was doing that, I met people from the Women Under 40 Political Action Committee. This was a nonpartisan group that uh, was looking to fund women who are running for public office in either party. They just wanted high profile women who are willing to go for the big seats. It didn't matter what their background was. They were just putting money behind them. And the real problem was there, there just wasn't enough women running for these positions. So we started this nonprofit called Running Start. I had seen how money was so important in politics. I had been in the fundraising side and I saw how there was a lack of women running for office, but those who did show up, they often weren't getting funded and they really weren't getting funded by women. You know, there just weren't a lot of women out there helping. So fast forward a little bit and I actually, you know, stepped away from that job and I live in Baltimore and Baltimore has a cool startup scene. And one of my friends created her own company and she showed me what she was doing. And I'm like, man, I love this. You know, I want to help you. And I know I don't want to work for you. And I know you don't need me working for you. What's, what's the for-profit version of me helping you? And she said, well, can you invest? And this was kind of like a head scratch moment. Cause I was like, oh my God, can I? And you know, like I said, I I'm very educated. I have an MBA and I didn't really even understand what you know, angel investing meant. And that was a light bulb moment for me because I thought, wow, if I don't understand how to do this, then many women don't understand how to do that. And so, you know, my husband and I, we both had these legal careers. Um, at the time, you know, we didn't have kids and actually starting a family was kind of getting put on the back burner. And I kind of looked around, I'm like, you know, I think I can do some budget maneuvers here that I can make angel investing really a part of my life. And there was really kind of a thrill in that. I had been going through, you know, some hardships that were related to starting a family. And there was something about becoming an investor that made me embrace risk in a way that was just exciting. So it let was me stop just you like, there. Let me stop you there. And what I'm hearing from you is that as a woman, it always it always works out when you go to the place where there aren't other women, because that's where you can not only stand out, but really start to create a movement around your presence for other women to see, oh, she's doing this. You know, whenever you're the minority, whenever you're the minority in the room, it's, it can be challenging. There's um, moments that are uncomfortable, 
but it's absolutely the place where real change happens, where you've got the opportunity to, to stand out and to basically kind of walk in and say, how are all of you going to treat me? Because clearly I'm Mm -hmm. the outlier here. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to step up and be a decent person? Or are you going to basically show that everything that has been the status quo for so long just still exists? And I think the majority of people I like to believe anyway, want to progress. Like they want change. They want people to know that they, they growth. Yeah. 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 Well, you would know, I mean, you were the first female captain of your high school's men's fencing team. Fun yeah. fact. Did you know I was going to take that up? <laughs> so, well, with you, I, I would not be surprised because <laughs> you're just like a cool researcher. So I'm, I'm sure you'd find all the fun stuff. <laughs> well, I, that does beg the question, has this always been kind of in your DNA is to go where there's uncharted territory, you know, and as a woman to go where there aren't other women to make a point, was it to make a point when you were in high school to do that? Or you just really wanted to be a part of the fencing team or both? Well, you know, it's so weird. Cause I, again, like I think my life experience, just like the circumstances of my life probably shaped some of this. It wasn't ever something where I was like, I'm going to go and be the only woman around a bunch of men, but it did keep happening. One way was that I was an only child. I grew up in a neighborhood that did not have a lot of little girls in it. The little girls that were there were younger than me. There was a little bit of an age gap. I still played with them, but like the next best level were boys. And so I was around a lot of boys in my neighborhood. Um, I was the youngest of um, eight cousins on my dad's side. And it was a warm, loving family. I saw them a lot, but again, majority of boys, like the only other girl was, excuse me, you know, much older than me. So I, I was around boys. I had a sense of like, yeah, sure. Like that's kind of a natural fit for me. Fencing had nothing to do with, Hey, I'm going to go and barnstorm the boys team. What actually happened was I had a coach who was really progressive and ahead of his time. I started on the fencing team. I went to a public high school, but for whatever reason in New Jersey, fencing is a sport among the public high schools. And I just hadn't done many athletics, you know, growing up. And when I decided I wanted to actually play a sport as a freshman in high school, all the other options were kind of out of reach for me. You know, I went out for the tennis team and everybody gives their kid a soccer ball, a racket to go and start a sport when they're five, but nobody hands their five-year-old a sword, you know? So of all the sports that were on offer, fencing was a place that I was like, okay, I, I, I'm coming at a level playing field and I'm tall. I have, you know, long arms and legs. These are all good attributes for fencing. And at the time, weirdly enough, there's three weapons in fencing and they only allowed women to fence foil. That's changed. But when I was in high school in the late nineties, it was only foil that women could fence. And my parents saw that I liked it and that I was doing well. And they made a deal with me that they would pay for private lessons as long as I stayed in shape and I kept my studies up. So I started going to this private coach and he worked with another high school's fencing team, the girls team, but he also coached, you know, like junior Olympians and then people who actually went on to be Olympians. And he took me aside and he said, you'll do well in Epe. And I'm like, well, that's great. But, you know, Epe isn't available. He goes, you know what? I bet you could get on your men's FA team at, at high school. Just see if they'll let you do it. And I had a high school, like they didn't really put up a big fight about it. I just said, look, there's 
Epe is happening on the private level. Like I can go to competitions as a woman in fence Epe. I'd like to do that, but it's really hard to switch between the weapons. Can I try out for the men's Epe team? And my coach had no problem with it. He just said, here's what I'm going to offer. If you make the varsity level team for the, for the men's Epe team, you can fence. But if you don't, I need you to stay on the foil team because I don't want to take a slot away from somebody who has the athletic ability to be a varsity level player. So I went and I fenced all the guys who are on the varsity level team and I got a spot, you know, I got it just on, on the athletics from there. You know, that was my sophomore year. I made it all the way up through uh, senior year. And by my senior year, I had gotten elected captain of the men's Epe foil and saber teams. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And it was a cool group of guys. I mean, you know, in some ways, like when I was younger and the sophomore, they were very protective of me. Then as I got, you know, to be in the running for captain, there was a little bit more competition. The guys I used to fence, I mean, some of them were awesome and they just were like, oh my God, it's so cool that you're here. There were others who thought it was awesome up until the point I could beat them. And then there were some that were outright hostile. Like the worst time was once I fenced um, a team and the guy got on the strip and he was huge. I mean, he was, he towered over me. Um, he looked like a linebacker. He easily outweighed me by like a hundred pounds. And they said fencers fence, which is just the beginning of the battle. Like nothing else had happened. The guy came at me with everything and broke a blade on my <gasps> stomach. Like oh my it gosh. knocked the wind out of me. And it was just, it was clearly, I'm making my point, you know, mm. get off the strip. And I honestly, like he actually kind of hurt me and I couldn't keep fencing. But there were other times I could win bouts because a guy swore, like fencing has all these um, very proper rules and you can't swear, you can't throw your helmet. And sometimes guys would just get frustrated that I was winning and I could score points because they throw a helmet. You were keeping <laughs> your cool. I love it. Yeah. There's yeah. that, there, isn't there that um, Eleanor Roosevelt saying like a woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. Yes. Yes. So that's you. (laughs) So uh, that's my way of buttoning that story up. Sticking with childhood, I want to explore your childhood relationship with money. You know, our sponsor, Chase Slate, did this really comprehensive study and found that over half of parents said that they do talk to their kids about money. And I know that for you growing up, your grandmother was a big influence in the world of money. So talk a little bit about that relationship and what she taught you. My parents were very good at teaching me the practical things around money, like how to keep track of it, how it was important to not treat it as something frivolous, um, how it was important to save. But my grandmother, you know, she grew up on a farm in Wisconsin and they actually lost the farm during the Great Depression. And like many farmers, it was because, you know, just to survive, they needed to take on loans. And then, you know, the the whole crash, it just devastated everything. And they moved to the city. Um she and my grandfather were gypsies at heart. They loved moving. Um, I don't think they always had to move. I think they just liked it, but they had six children. They opted to send them to private Catholic schools when they probably needed the money for other things. Um, you know, they always made ends meet, but it was tight. And, you know, I know like my dad felt that, but my grandmother, in, you know, my understanding of her and growing up with her as this just wonderful, loving force in my life, you know, she was just so warm and kind and she, she had no time 
for too many possessions. Like she, to this day, lives in the same one bedroom apartment that she's been in since I think 1980. And, you know, there, she just would constantly get rid of clothes and things like she just didn't need to be tied down by stuff. And she also just had a real grounding in what was important in this life. And I remember it wasn't long after my grandfather had died. Um, when I was in elementary school, she and I were, um, in a car with some of my cousins and we were just driving to get some food. And she asked me, you know, sweetly, benignly, like most grandmothers, Oh, Kelly, you know, do you know what you'd like to be someday? And I'm in the fourth grade, you know, like I'm coming up with the typical, like, you know, my little pony answer, which is, I don't know, maybe I want to be a writer. Maybe I want to be a singer. I don't know. I think it'd just be fun to go do lots of cool things and maybe I'll be rich. I don't know. That would be great. And my grandmother stopped me. I mean, she just (laughs) stopped me. She stopped the car too? She, we were like probably at a traffic light, but I mean, I remember stillness. I just remember like the world stopped and my grandmother, um, has these piercing blue eyes and she just drilled them right into mine. And she said, don't you ever think that money is what this life is about. Don't you ever chase money. There is more important things in this life than money. And it is the worst thing in the world to go after just money. And I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> like, I'll just think about it. What else I want to be when I grow up, but not that, never mind. <laughs> but wow. it, it really stayed with me. And I mean, she was, she's, you know, still around, but she, you know, in, in her younger days was just so vibrant and happy and talkative and sweet. And she was like the grandma who like loved you no matter what. And for her to turn on me in this way of like, I'm imparting the wisdom of my life to you. If there's little one girl. thing I need to tell you, this <laughs> yeah. is it. Do, so yeah. you think that's all a, a product of her, uh, her experience during the Great Depression? I think so. And I also think that she and my grandfather were very much in love and they never, they never made that about what they did or didn't have. You know, they just loved each other and they loved their family and they just didn't care about material things. Like it was nice. And she, you know, like make a fuss if you got her a cool present, but you know, give it five or 10 years and you'd learn she'd given it away. <laughs> you know, It's just sort of like, well, I just thought, you know, your aunt would like that or something, you know, so she, she had no attachment to it and she had, she had great attachment to people, you know, people mattered to her, her family uh, matter to her. In fact, it's kind of interesting because the word, when I think of it, that she uses for the people she loves most in this world is, oh, there's my treasure. She always says that. She goes, oh, it's my treasure. Oh, it's my treasure. How's my treasure? And I kind of think that's telling. Like, you know, that's that's what, you know, the, the biggest gift of life is. That's the riches of life for her is love, family, and people. Um, so that always stayed with me. I love that. What's your money philosophy? It sounds like your grandmother, if she was on, I need to interview, is she still with us? She is. Um, she is actually about to celebrate her, let me get this right, 97th wow. birthday. Yeah. Um, she's not exactly as cognizant of things as she was, but she's you know, very, I'm very grateful. She's, she's happy. Um, she's well for a 97 year old, you know, and she is very well taken care of by, uh, my aunts who still live out in Minnesota. So, I mean, it's, 
I have to say she's like the best advertisement I've ever seen for getting older. Uh, it's rough. I know, but still like I look at her and I'm like, that's, that's a nice way to get old. (laughs) It really is. Well, especially when you have grandchildren like you who are able to like take her lessons and her stories and incorporate them into your life and then now sharing it with all of us. But I wanted to ask you, and I, and I was saying like your grandmother probably has so many thoughts around this, but what is your number one money mantra? I've come to view money like a river. To me, I've looked at it from many angles throughout my life and at many different times. But I think there was a point in my life because I came from a practical, pragmatic mindset of like, save money, save money, save money, and, you know, make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, you know, all those things that are important for just, you know, wise financial planning, um, safety, uh, thinking about retirement, but especially in our culture, I think there's a place where you can go overboard. And sometimes I would notice that I would go to what money I had, what money I had helped, bring into my life. And I'd go like I had a little cup to a river and be like, I'm just taking this sip and then I'm leaving it alone. And, you know, it's like, sometimes I think for myself, like, no, I'm really thirsty. I need to do something else. And there's a river and I am lucky enough to live on its banks. There's other people who have to walk through a desert to get here, but I live on its banks. So what am I going to do? Am I really just going to sit here and sip from this cup or am I going to do something bigger? And a river can do many things. You know, it's, it's something where you can block it up and create a very deep dam. And it's there for like massive undertakings. Like you can almost make machines out of it. Um, you know, hydroelectric plants, things like that. You can also use it for irrigation. I mean, there's so many practices where you take a river and you create little channels and those channels go out and out and out and it creates crops and agriculture and, you know, well-being for people anywhere around it. You can also, you know, stop it up and make sure that people who are downriver from you don't get any. Um, and by downriver in this analogy, to me, that's like the generations that come after you. Um, it can be also the people, you know, who are around you in the world. And none, none of these are, you know, perfect, you know, or perfectly right or perfectly wrong, but they all have their attributes. And I, I think it's always important to see that money has its own force. It has its own, you know, activity in the markets. Um, but it is driven by human choices. It's very much a reflection of our own psychology and our own thinking. Um, but in it, it, it's itself, it's just, you know, another force that's out there and it, it really can be harnessed. Um, but only if you do it with respect, only if you like honestly understand what this thing is. So when I say money is a river to me, I'm always asking myself, how am I approaching, you know, this very wonderful gift that I've been given to live by the shores of a river? And am I just going to watch it go by? Am I just sort of saying like, that's nice. That's for the next generation. I'm just going to make sure it goes that way. Am I going to tend to it? Am I going to make sure it doesn't get too low? Am I going to make sure that if there's a drought, you know, we're not all, you know, just dying of thirst, but if there's plenty and there often is, you know, I'm very you know fortunate to be able to say that then why not build those channels? I kind of like the irrigation model, you know, that's kind of my thing. And I have, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm someone who really checks the status of my ledgers and my, you know, budgets, my accounts. So I know how deep the water is. I know, you know, what the flow's like. 
And because I take that very honest appraisal, which I also think is important, I think a lot of people spoken like a true investor. Yes. Like a lot of people freak out about looking at the money, you know, like to look at it is frightening, but it's also, it's also a way that people blind themselves to what they actually have. That's abundant. You know, it's like sometimes a a number will just seem too low or I've also tried to train my mind and see a number and be like, that's a lot. You know, that is a lot. I mean, like before this interview, I was just hearing a story about refugees, you know, and they were talking about a refugee who was a sound engineer, um, in his home country, but was spending nights sleeping under a church and begging just to get food. And it's like, you know, I was going to run an errand and was probably going to spend like a hundred bucks that day. Like it was no big deal. And here's a story about somebody who like can barely get by and has all of the professional qualities that I do. So I think sometimes you have to look at what you have and say, this is plenty. This is this is not just plenty. This is abundance. Yeah. This metaphor of money as a river is a really gorgeous metaphor. I think we hear a lot about money being ad- abundant. What's a mistake that you made, Kelly, with your money? And it could be through your CJ and Invest, which by the way, is the name of your new podcast. Yes. Uh, please go check it out. We're going to have some really cool guests on it. Yeah. We'll talk about it in a second in, in detail, but what's been your biggest money mistake? Well, let's see. Um, I mean, the biggest one that like scarred me (laughs) was when I was little, um, I was like second or third grade. We were going on a field trip and the night before my parents had given me $5 to spend uh, at the souvenir shop the next day. And I went out with my mom grocery shopping or something. And when I got home, the $5 bill wasn't in my pocket. Like I had no idea where it had gone, but it was just gone. And I was devastated. And my dad kind of gave me a tough love. Like you can't do that with money. It's not okay for it to have just fallen away. Like it can't, you can't be that absent minded, you know? And he also kind of drove home because to me, $5 at the time was a huge amount of money. And he went with that. He's like, $5 is a lot of money, you know, especially for a little kid like like you. So that, that to me like stayed with me. And I think it's one of the things that drove me to be beyond anal when it comes to like my ledgers and my budgets. And, um, you know, I basically can create spreadsheets that do what like mint.com does. Cause I'm just like, let's check all the numbers. Let's make sure we know everything. And I try to make sure that doesn't turn into its own mania and obsession. Cause it can totally go the wrong way. Um, so that was like one of my earliest money mistakes. Um, it's funny. So with investing, I can't really say that I feel like I've made a mistake. I do feel like I back companies that aren't going to make it. And there's one way to look at that and say, that's a mistake. But I signed up for it when I became an investor. Like the stats are horrible around investing. It's like, I think 90 to 95% of all startups fail. So I went into my investing model knowing the likelihood of me picking a startup and having it fail was so high. So my approach to investing is a lot like what people do in the stock market. I try to have a little bit in a lot of places so that at least a handful will 
compensate for the ones that fail. And I'd love to be, you know, a little type A person who's like, I picked all the winners, but that's just not a reality. And it sucks. I mean, every time I get wind that there's a company not doing well that I've backed, it's like, oh God, you know, like I really <laughs> hate that feeling, but it is what I signed up for. Like that, that was not a surprise, you know, that that could happen to me. Your podcast, CJ and Invest is in just an additional offering in the uh, in the big business that you run called CJ and Invest, which is angel investing portfolio. It's, I believe, a course. There's this podcast. What is it that you're hoping to really deliver to the audience? You know, in doing what I do, I would say, I mean, I get so much creative energy just from the female founders and the film producers and directors that I come in contact with. You know, they're they're just such a source of energy and you're right. There's not, it's not a real reality that everybody can be an angel investor, but in terms of what I hope I'm modeling, I'm hope, I hope I'm modeling, you know, the person who embraces risk for the life joy of it and kind of giving a rope and a line out to the other women, especially, but there are plenty of men I enjoy talking to, and I hope would benefit from this as well, that it's like, I see you, I see what you're doing and somebody is paying attention to what you're going through. So here, let's talk to some of the other incredibly cool people I've talked to. So this world, whether it's, you know, running your own startup, thinking about creating a business, even just trying to approach, like, how would you become in the place in life that you'd want to start a business? And what would you do to articulate that idea? Like, you want to hear from the people who have been there, done that. And you want to hear from the people who understand kind of all these fun, cool complexities around money and our relationship to it. And, you know, when is it good to bet on something that has meaning for you, but is going to put some financial risk in the picture? You know, like what, what makes that a good call and what makes that like, well, I'm not so sure that's where you should be going. Um, I created this podcast because I wanted to hear from a majority of women who are really out there doing the things, um, you know, where it's not just saying, hey, we should have a seat at a table, but they're kind of stomping in and going, we're taking over the whole damn lunchroom. Thanks. You know, like this is <laughs> this is what it's going to look like. We're we're good with that. The whole. Yeah, there's still some problems out there. But instead of just talking about what's blocking us and what's in our way, let's turn the lens to if we were designing all of this, if we were, you know, charting our way forward, how does it look from our perspective? Um, and like politics, I think business, I think, you know, any of the companies, any of the creative energies that women especially put out into the world, it's a form of representation and it becomes part of the culture. I mean, if you think about it, if you become a unicorn startup or if you create a film and you become, you know, the next Steven Spielberg, by, by the way, there are not enough women who get to be the Steven Spielberg. So I want that to happen. But um, if you are those people, you have the money and the influence that the Obamas, the Clintons of the world, anyone running for public office, they come to you both for your money and your opinion on what you see. So like, it's not just, Hey, you changed your, the marketplace or, you know, even you can do so many small things. Like if you have a workplace culture and you are adamant that there's going to be incredible 
uh, parental leave policies, or you're only going to pay, you know, fair wages or above fair wages. Like these are ways that you can model how to change the culture. But if you really make it, you are as influential as the people we elect to office. Sometimes you're even more influential because if you can write the check and you've got their ear, you're, you're shaping the culture and more women should be in that position doing that. I actually came across a stat the other day that one in four angel investors are women, and that's up from just 12% like seven years ago. Yeah, it's been steadily climbing, and that's a great thing. Um, You know, one in four is great, but it's still not as much as we'd like to see. But, but that's it's, rapid progress in just seven years. That's rapid it progress. Is. And uh, But sure, yeah, we got a, we have a ways to go. And why isn't there a female version of Steven Spielberg? I've interviewed a lot of female directors on this podcast, uh, and I'm, I'm sure they have a few thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. Part of it is that they just don't even get invited to the table. Right. right. You're talking about taking over the whole kitchen. What is it? The whole kitchen, cafeteria, every, all, everything. Lunchroom. Yeah. Lunchroom. They don't even get the invitation. They don't even get a seat. Times they are changing, and that podcast of your CJN Invest launched just a couple of days ago on iTunes. And of course, you can go to cjninvest.com. Is there a, a more specific website? cjninvest.com is great. You can follow along on social media. And if you check out the website, we've got um, some freebies for people who are interested. If you want, you know, some more tools about, you know, assessing your own company, but we also have some fun promotions coming up through uh, the launch of the podcast to celebrate it. So yeah, cjninvest.com is definitely going to be the best place to go. All right, Kelly, let's do some so money fill in the blanks before I let you go. How about that? Okay. Sounds great. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is... I'd probably want to spoil my parents rotten and just like, I don't know, get them dream houses and like have them come with maids and lawn care people and just, yeah, just like spoil my parents into their old age and, you know, maybe set up some scholarship money for, you know, kids that I know that I want to make sure, you know, go to school. Um, And the rest I think I'd put towards some pretty cool things like more you know, funding women entrepreneurs and um, some films out there because I could get into some real fun stuff with a hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Just a few projects. Yeah. Just a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? So I honestly never thought I was someone who was going to get a personal trainer, but I did just have a baby last year and I used to go to a gym and I loved going to the gym. But oh my goodness, trying to get to a gym on a gym schedule when you have a baby is not easy. So I actually found this wonderful guy, Eric, from it's a company called Everybody's Personal Trainer. And it's not in any way like the she, she, Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, like uh, Hollywood setup at all. Like he's incredibly fair and reasonable and just the sweetest, nicest guy. Um, but because of him, I am actually getting back into shape. And I really think I would have been struggling if I didn't make that decision to, to say, yeah, that's, that's worth it. So you're totally right. I mean, the gym, the time at the gym is one thing at the time getting to the gym, coming home from the gym, it's a round trip, two hour voyage. And <laughs> it's, it's not, yeah. Not to mention the showering. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of time. It's a very um, – if you can afford that time, it's a luxury. It really is at the end of the day. And if you can get someone to come to your house and kick your butt, even better. Well, not to mention like after having a baby, your body's in a different place. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to have the personal attention of like, yeah, we're not going to make you do this crazy thing right now. And if I went to a gym – I might not get that. And I might get somebody who's like, sure, you can do it. You know, it's like, no, no, really, I'm still getting there. 
Right. Bear with me, please. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? Um, That it's more of a tool and less of a boogeyman. Um, You know, as much as my grandmother had a wonderful saying about money, I think um, in some of my family members, they were they, they use money very positively and they taught really positive things, but there was a little bit more of a fear element. Um, and I'm grateful that as an adult, I got to a place where I'm like, this is a tool. This isn't a force. You know, this is, well, as I said before, it is a force, but in a different way, not like a, it, it's there to come at you specifically. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people. It feels like money is doing something to them or like has an agenda for them or. Right. Money has know, no agenda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you it's make the agenda. Like, exactly. So it's sort of like, this is a tool. You just shape what that tool becomes. And so, yeah, and I, and I'm there now. So that's what makes me happy. Wonderful. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Oh, my husband and I, every year, actually, um, it's kind of fun, like around Thanksgiving, we, um, I, I like to use charity navigator and, uh, network for good, but like every year it's, it's kind of like the way some people might do Christmas shopping and be like, Oh, this and this and this, like, it's kind of fun every year. We just have this big list. There's probably like 13 or 14 charities on it. And it's just, we fund them every single year. Some get bigger amounts, others get small amounts, but it's just like, if there's anything that we heard about over the year, where we're like, that's an amazing thing. We want, we want that to get some support. Um, you know, like when the refugee crisis really picked up, I was like that, like, we're gonna, I want some money to go there. Um, so I would say like, um, you know, I kind of try to pick from like the, the, um, among like people who need food, who need housing. Um, I also like taking care of animals. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many on that list, but there's also like schools that did well by us. You know, we, we want to see like, like I had a scholarship and I want to make sure other people had a scholarship to my little school. So I make sure I give them money every year. Um, you know, um, anything that, you know, the, the political, uh, nonprofits that I worked with, like running start, like they always get something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a whole like basket that we give to, but it's, it's a lot of fun to just be able to do that every year. It's like, yes, you know, like that's, that's kind of our take a moment and reflect and offer something back. And last but not least, I'm Kelly Keenan Trump or I'm so money because I'm so money because I'm living exactly the way I want to with money. And I'm actually making that river work for me and for my family and the world around me. Thank you so much for being on the show. And congratulations on your podcast. That's huge. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on yours. Thank you to Kelly for joining us. To check out her podcast, go to cjaneinvest.com. You can also learn more about her at Kelly Keenan Trumpor. That's T-R-U-M-P-B-O-U-R. And Kelly is on Twitter, active on Twitter at KK Trumpor. If you missed any of this and want to catch up on the episode or any back episodes, head over to somoneypodcast.com and you can find it all there for free. While you're there, if you've got a question for me for the Friday Ask Farnoosh sessions, click on Ask Farnoosh and leave it there or hop over to Instagram, follow me, then send me a direct message. It's the best way to get on the radar. And usually I just answer you there. 
And then I save the question later for Ask Farnoosh and uh, expose you there. But either way is good. Hope to hear from you. And you know the rest. I hope your day is so money. <laughs>